Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, but should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yellen. It is said that prostate cancer is the second most common cancer in the world among men and the fourth most common worldwide. It's most common in industrial countries. Unfortunately for us men, the older we get, the more likely we are to develop prostate cancer. Our guest today is a former Vietnam vet who, in April of 2017, was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate and bladder cancer with possible spread to his rectum. And joining us from Texas to tell his story is Bruce Harrison. Bruce, it's great of you to tell your story. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here, Ian. Good morning. Bruce, when you get your cancer diagnosis, when you got it, did you think you were at death's doorstep? Well, you know, I I was, of course, scared immediately. And, and, and I don't know, I didn't relate this to Corey, but um, I went to the VA for six months before my diagnosis complaining about issues with urination and whatnot. And they told me I was fine. What I didn't know is that they had, my PSA at the time was above 16, and they said I was fine. And as you and I know, that's not the case. So a month later, after my last visit with them, they called and said that I had to come in, and they gave me the news that I had stage four. Uh, well, actually, their first uh, prognosis or the procedure they wanted to follow was the removal of my prostate, bladder, and rectum. And that was what put me in shock. Uh, and I, I said, well, I, I got to think about this and get a second opinion, which, of course, I did. I went to MD Anderson. And um, in the end, they both offered up the same thing, uh, 57, 56 days of a super chemo cocktail followed by 57 days of three-way targeted radiation. And it was at that point, I took a step back and decided I need to think about this. Of course, I was blessed with a visit from a couple of my oldest friends while I was in the hospital at the DeBakey VA. And um, one of them was an organic farmer. He suggested that I change my diet immediately to organic greens, remove the sugar, processed food, dairy, and meat from my diet, which I did. And start, the other friend was a farmer in California who sold to the dispensaries uh, FICO. And he said I needed to start on the FICO. So I did both. And uh, within a few months, I was starting to get my strength back. I started walking. I've, I've held the same weight now for three and a half years. I haven't gained or lost any weight. I don't have any pain to speak of. I have issues because... Uh, you know, I accepted one form of traditional treatment because of the aggressive nature of my prostate cancer and the fact that it had spread to other organs immediately. They suggested that I, um, if I were producing semen, it would spread to my uh, bloodstream and lymph nodes and I'd be dead in a couple of months. So the uh, offer for that was basically a chemical castration. 
I take an Elagard injection twice a year, and that's that's it. That's the only traditional treatment I've taken. So other than the fact that I have hot flashes <laughs> because of the Elagard, life is good. Mm-hmm. Life is good. I've had I've had the best quality of life in the last couple of years that I've enjoyed in my life. So Bruce, they actually wanted to remove your bladder and rectum as well as your prostate. Yes, that was the first prognosis in, in urology at the Bakey VA Center. They wanted to surgically remove my prostate, bladder, and rectum. Dr. Taylor was the head of urology, and she still is. Uh, and, of course, my response was, wait a minute, let me see if I got this straight. You want to double bag me in a friggin' chair? And she said, well, Bruce, it's not that bad. We have all kinds of new devices and accoutrements now that, you know, I said, no, not interested. That is not my idea of a good quality of life. So, you know, I passed on that. And it was at that point I went to MD Anderson. Then they sent me back to oncology at DeBakey. And then I uh, consulted with both MD Anderson and DeBakey oncology and they both came up with the same offer of this massive cocktail and three-way targeted. Now, because I'm in an illegal state, I can't share what I'm doing with the VA. I mean, they pretty much know. All my RNs, they all know because I've confided in them, but they don't believe that anything that I've done, my diet and FICO is contributory to my continuing good health. They can't accept that because then, you know, their primary source of income, chemotherapy, is out the window. But hopefully I'll see it in my lifetime where we have more um, confidence in this method of treatment because I'm going to continue doing it. I do a gram every day and, uh, you know, my mix of coconut oil and FICO. Right. So just for listeners who might not be aware, Bruce, um, FICO is full extract cannabis oil. That's what it stands for. Yes. And Bruce, when you were when you were diagnosed with cancer, what did the doctors attribute your cancer to? Agent or Orange. I was uh, combat infantry in Vietnam. I was drafted. They took me kicking and screaming. I didn't want any part of that war. But it was prison sentence or the the army, so I went. Um, I was only in, you know, two years, but I was exposed to Agent Orange as a combat infantry soldier with, you know, open cuts and wounds. Uh, The chemicals are infused in your bloodstream. That's what they attributed my diagnosis to at any rate. And for those people who may be unfamiliar with Agent Orange, uh, it's a blend of tactical herbicides the U.S. military sprayed from 1962 to 1971 during the Vietnam War. And it was done to remove the leaves of trees and other dense tropical foliage that provided enemy cover. Your story is interesting because I interviewed a Vietnam vet a few years ago. He had this horrific growth, cancerous growth behind his ear. And it was oozing and stuff was coming out of it. And what he did, he put cannabis oil on it. And we have the before, he sent us the before and after pictures. And it's just remarkable 
what this oil did to remove that cancerous tumor. It was unbelievable. So I suspect he was probably a victim of Agent Orange as well. Yeah, any of us that were in country in rural areas where the defoliate was dusted uh, had the opportunity to. And, and, you know, that's the thing. If you have any open cuts or wounds, and if you were an infantry soldier, you always had open cuts and wounds in the jungle or the rice paddies. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the that's what they attribute my condition to. And since it was so, uh, since it wide, you know, it spread so aggressively initially, they can't think of any other reason. So I have no family history of cancer on either my mother or father's side ever in, in our history. Well, this is a first. So that that and. In the last dozen years, I was diagnosed with a few other things that were manifestations of exposure to Asian Orange, such as peripheral neuropathy, diabetes, uh, apnea. But I've managed to beat most of that back just through my diet and exercise. Bruce, tell us the story of how you started on cannabis and the decision to do that. Well, you know, I, I, I knew about it. Uh, you know, I've smoked weed all my life, uh, and I knew about the uh, positive effects. And then, of course, with all the, the hullabaloo about CBD, um, then a friend of mine in California is a, a farmer, and he sells to the medical dispensaries, and he makes FICO. And he was one of the people who visited me in the hospital when I was getting my biopsies, and uh, John told me that I needed to start on the FICO. And, and uh, he had a lot of cases and examples of people that he had helped cure. And uh, I was convinced that it was a better option for me. The diet, the organic green diet and that, I just settled in on it when I got out of the hospital and I've maintained it till today. I'm just actually uh, still working the farm. We just planted uh, about 30 rows of our fall garden about three weeks ago. So, Bruce, did you um, do all of your oil um, orally or did you do some rectally? No, I do both. Uh, I I do a mix. And, of course, my mix is 50-50 with coconut oil. And I put in 10% uh, sunflower lecithin for cell absorption. I'm, I do a gram a day, uh, and I'll do like a half in the morning, usually sublingual, and at night I do a, a, a gram uh, suppository, and that's what I'll do. Usually, uh, I kind of rotate it. Uh, every second or third night, I do a suppository, and the rest of the time, I do sublingual. Bruce, how long did it take you to get up to a gram a day? Oh, I started right in on it, man. I had stage four. I mean, no, I was, I was, my main intent was to survive. Five. I, good, here, good. I was laid up in the bed, stoned and tired uh, at all. And I started on it right away. I didn't work my way up to anything. I wanted to knock this thing out. You know. Now, according to the VA, I still have stage four cancer. There's really no way that I can check the size of my masses because they refuse to do MRIs on me anymore. And I won't take the uh, 
what's the other one? The uh, CAT scan, they inject sugar in you, which feeds cancer. So I don't want to do that. And they won't give me the MRI because I won't cooperate. I won't take the... Uh, you won't the take their poison. I won't take my poison or my radiation. So they've refused to give me another MRI. And I even raised hell, wrote letters and whatnot. And, uh, you know, they're saying, well, since your PSA is 0 0.2 or 0 0.02, uh, we're not going to bother to give you an MRI due to expense. I said, well, what about the quarter of a million I've saved you in chemo? <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> give me a three or $400 MRI, MRI in lieu of that. <laughs> but. But no, so, you know, they, my doctor, and as I told you in my little brief uh, statement, um, Dr. Yen is, uh, he's out of Baylor St. Luke here at Houston Medical Center. He's the big gun at the Bakey, and he nagged me and called me for three years. And finally, uh, a couple months ago, my last visit with him, he said, Bruce, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. Seems to be working for you. That was the first time that he had not tried to talk me into the chemo in over three years. So wow. well, good. I feel like I'm doing okay. <laughs> you know? Well, going from a prostate uh, PSA reading of 16, I think you said earlier, uh, down to 0 0.02, that is all, that tells me that uh, you no longer have cancer of the prostate. Yeah, I hope so. But, you know, um, I still, uh, Ian, I have, uh, I forgot to tell you, that one other thing that they had to do was, uh, well, when they released me from the hospital, they wanted me to go home with a Foley bag. And I didn't want to do that. I, I'd had to wear the bag, you know, for a week or two when I was in the hospital. And my own personal feeling is that if I, the longer you wear the bag, the more your muscles atrophy. So, I said, I'm not going home with the bag. And I, I said, there's got to be an alternative. And the, the old RN that was tending to me said, yeah, you can self-calf. I said, see, I knew there was an alternative. She said, I'm not going to do it for you. I'll walk you through it. If you can do it, you can go home. So I did. I went home and they gave me boxes of catheter tubes. And for the next few weeks, I, they had to put a stint in my bladder because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't urinating properly. So they couldn't do the stint until I healed up from the biopsies and surgery. So I had to go home for a month and I self-cathed during that time, three or four times a day. And when I went back, they did the surgery and I was able to pee on my own. So it was all good. So every six months I go in and I get this stint replaced. It's an outpatient surgery. I go in in the morning. I'm home that night. It's all good. So that's the only real a uh, medical issue I have now, I have to deal with that twice a year. And at the same time I get my Elegard injection is usually when I get the stint changed. Bruce, uh, in the notes that you sent us, um, there's something at the very end which I thought was very interesting. You said, the choices I've made were not easy. When I rejected traditional medicine, no one was on my side, my doctors, my family and friends, my in-laws. I doubted myself and my decisions daily, and to be honest, I still do at times. Now, why do you doubt yourself? Well, I probably don't 
have that much doubt, Ian. I mean, I'm I'm pretty healthy right now. I'm able to work. I'm able to work the farm. I feel really good. But there's always that nagging doubt in the back of my mind since I don't know the actual state of the masses in my body, you know. And and I kind of hope that the cannabis would help relieve the mass in my bladder to the point where I wouldn't need the stent replacement. But that hasn't happened yet. They were kind of hoping at first that that would happen uh, at the VA. But as of the last time I had my replacement, which was just three months ago, uh, it wasn't it wasn't an option. I still needed a stent for my left bladder tube to flow. So, you know, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I feel good. I'm not really in that much doubt. Uh, Ian, I'm pretty confident, you know, but right. always I know that I, as far as the VA is concerned, I still have stage four cancer in at least two organs. Well, the good thing is that uh, if you went with their recommendation, you'd have no prostate, no bladder, and I'd be dead. rectum. <laughs> Probably. Be yeah, dead. exactly. If I weren't exactly. dead, I'd look like a cadaver. Corey, have you ever dealt with anyone with bladder issues like Bruce has that don't get resolved right away with uh, cannabis oil? Mm, I've had bladder cancers, and um, actually with bladder cancers, I was thinking about this the other day. I've, I've probably dealt with, I don't know, two dozen of them, and we've had 100% success with bladder Mm. Yeah. So, you know, when when you were talking there, Bruce, I was thinking, you know, maybe you just need to keep pounding it in. Are you oh, changing? <laughs> do you change do you change strains? No. Um and and I haven't done that. And the reason I haven't done it was because my you know, my uh FICO doctor suggested that because of the aggressive types that I had when I was first diagnosed, that I needed the strongest possible mix I could get, which mm -hmm. is a, a, is a uh, an indica strain that tests out with his equipment at about 86% pure. And, I, you know, I've seen a lot of other people that had stuff. I've tried other mixes that were nowhere near that strength. And so... Since John's able to provide this to me, I've stayed with it. You know, yeah. I know I should probably grow my own, but for what John charges me, it's viable for me. I can afford it. He charges me a fourth of what a pound of the indica would cost me. Right. You know, I just I know that we see, you know, much more success with multi-strains and stuff. So I'm just throwing that out there as something to consider. That's yeah. I know I have tried several other strains, but um, I felt the best with this one, so I'm I've stayed on it. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, I've got another uh, probably another six months worth of this particular strain, and I might try something else uh, in the meantime. But right now I'm, you know, I feel so good, Corey, that it's hard for me to make any changes. You know, I said a lot of. I understand. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I mean, you know, when we video chatted the other day, I mean, you look incredibly healthy. Well, I wouldn't want the word to get out 
but <laughs> I'm, I'm 71 and my oncologist is in his 40s and I'm sure I could kick his ass. <laughs> you can edit that out if you need to. <laughs> oh no, we'll we'll keep it in. Now I'm I um, I'm very very fortunate and blessed. I mean I feel good. I do. I walk every morning and I I exercise. I work the farm. Ride my Harley occasionally. Ride a bicycle sometimes. So I feel good. Life is good. It's been very good for us. And uh, on a, on another note, uh, it's been the most difficult. It's probably been for my wife. My wife was life flighted with a traumatic brain injury six years ago. So this has been probably more difficult for her to deal with than than myself, really. Mm. She's doing real well. Uh, she she knows I'm healthy, and she's real happy about it. So. Does she take cannabis as well, Bruce? No, she doesn't. I've tried to get her to because uh, she's type 2 diabetic and it would cure that. But she's reluctant to. And, you know, she, she has a brain injury, so I don't force anything on her that she's not comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah, we've interviewed a woman uh, a couple of years ago in the U.S. named Debbie Wilson, who has had a couple of brain injuries and uses cannabis to great effect. And I was just wondering if your wife, I mean, if a person doesn't want to do it, you can't force them to do it. Right. No, she she smokes marijuana, but she won't do the, the, the FICO is too much, too much for most people, I guess, you know, it knock, kind of knocks them out. I guess I'm fortunate that I just jumped right in with both feet and I never, after a first week or two, I was able to deal with it. Yeah, it's amazing how you just jumped right in and uh, took uh, half a gram sublingually and uh, just, uh, you went at it. Yeah. You were determined to save your prostate, your bladder, and your rectum. And your life. My life. And your life. (laughs) Primarily, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've always been kind of an A-type personality, so when I make up my mind to do something, I usually go overboard on it, and that's what I did in this case. What about some of your other friends and in-laws? What were they, What was their perspective on what you were doing? Well, you know, most people feel that this guy with a 20-year education knows more than I do, and so I got some pushback, uh, probably more so from my in-laws than from my own family. But uh, after a year went by and another year, everybody's pretty well convinced. As a matter of fact, most people in my circle forget that I have cancer because I have all the appearance of being extremely healthy. You know, Bruce, one question I always like to ask people who have been diagnosed with cancer and and given the doom and gloom from the medical profession, you were given a year to live. When the doctors told you about your illness, and do you remember that day very well? I remember it distinctly, I'm sure, much like Corey does. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What's a quick aside the the nurse who came in to tell me they called me up and asked me to come to the VA put me in one of those little rooms and the nurse who came in to tell me my diagnosis a month before 
had told me that I had the prostate of a 20 year old, the very same nurse. Mm. And Mr. Harrison, I have some extremely bad news. I remember that's how she started it. And then she said, yeah, you have stage four prostate cancer, bladder, prostate, bladder, and possibly rectum. And, you know, the doctor come in and talk to you. At that point, I was already, I knew, I, I want to say I didn't really know, but I, I pretty much knew that I did not want any part of chemotherapy. I mean, I, I know enough to know that it's poison. You know, it was mustard gas, you know, World War II. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a toxin. And I knew that. And I knew that everybody that, I mean, I have literally lost a couple dozen friends to that treatment. So, Ian, there was no way I was going to take that treatment. I was going to go down in hospice at home, however, but I was not going to take that treatment. I had that in my mind. And I, it was very difficult because, you know, Shirley, we had just gone through Shirley's brain injury. Uh, two years before that and lost her income. Our daughter was college age and ready to start school at that time. And we lost Shirley's income. And then when I went in the hospital and all this happened, we lost my income. Um, the VA did not, it took me eight months after they gave me a year to live to finally get granted my combat disability from 49 years ago. You know? Wow. So, had that not happened, I'd have lost my home and everything else. But we finally were, you know, I managed to get the disability, and they they started my disability, and that allowed me to survive. And now I can work again. I'm physically capable of working again. So, well, I don't need to right now, but I can if I have to. That's good to know. You know, Bruce, one of the uh, important issues that Corey talks to uh, cancerous patients about is the fact that they have to change their diet to be a more holistic diet. And as you know, people eat a lot of processed foods, they eat a lot of junk food, they consume a lot of pop. How difficult was the, the change for you to go to a more holistic diet? Uh wasn't that difficult in for one reason primarily is that uh, I'm very determined and uh, I knew that that was what I needed to do so I did it I was never uh, I was preface it I, I was a pro athlete for a couple of years up into my 30s so I know I have discipline and I know how to discipline myself and it wasn't that hard for me, to be honest with you, to make the change. I was never a drinker of sodas or, and uh, didn't do a lot of sugars anyway. So it wasn't very difficult for me. Now, granted, I miss a lot of food, you know, um, but I eat a lot of wild-caught fish. That's my, one of my primary sources of protein. No farm-raised, of course. That's just like eating processed foods. But I, I do fish a lot, and I eat a lot of wild-caught fish. Other than that, my biggest protein cheat on my diet is eggs. Uh, there's a girl that is near our farm, 
and we're an organic farm, so we give her all our weeds, and she has chickens, ducks, and turkeys that she feeds organically, and so I eat those eggs almost every day. I, I eat two or three of uh, those eggs, and so that's a big source of my protein. But other, I mean, yeah, it's a constant. Uh, you have to be constantly aware of it, and it's it is difficult at times. You know, when I watch my wife and daughter eating ribeyes in front of me and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's what I have to do. It's my course of life now, and uh, I've adjusted to it. Yeah, your diet, I think, is pretty similar to my diet, and I eat a lot of eggs. And eggs contain biotin, which is very valuable. It's a B vitamin. It's a very valuable. It's the most abundant mineral in nature is contain uh, biotin in eggs. And uh, there's so much about nutrition that we've been led to believe over the last 50 or 60 years that really today is starting to expose itself as being untrue, like saturated fat. I mean, half your brain is saturated fat. Why avoid saturated fat? Right. And uh, it's very simple things like that. And I want to ask you one question uh, before we wrap up about Vietnam and what that was like as a soldier. I was scared shitless, Ian. I mean, mm. you know, I was drafted. I had my 23rd birthday over there. So I was I was four or five years older than a lot of kids drafted out of high school. I was more of an adult. I had been working union construction, you know, supporting myself for a few years, living with a woman, you know, as a grown-up. So when I was forced into this, forced, the basic training was probably more stressful for me than anything, being put back in a situation with a, a bunch of kids like that when I felt like a grown up. But once I got there, it's, you know, you do what you have to do. Uh, you're assigned to a unit. They tell you what to do. I was just a private, you know, first class. I didn't have any rank. You do what you're told. It was scary. I stayed scared for most of the year. <laughs> you know, uh, anybody that wasn't scared is a little bit off mentally. People were trying to kill us all the time. It was a pretty freaky situation. I thought that I was able to deal with it because I had a little chicken shit degree in psychology, but um, I wasn't. I mean, but it's all hindsight, you know, PTSD is for real, but I was in denial of it for 30 years. It reminds me of uh, World War II and uh, D-Day, the invasion of Normandy, when these young kids, and my dad was a young kid, he was about 18 at the time, 18 or 19, and, uh, you know, they were in these uh, vessels which transported them across the, the channel, yeah, and then, then, yeah, then they got out and ran into the water, onto the shore, and they were fired at. And it was almost a sure death for many of them. Yeah, and my uncle Carl Harrison was on an LST landing at Anzio. And he was machine gunned from shoulder to hip and was 100% disabled but survived. And he lived to be 101. He just died about three years ago. He was on one of those LSTs, and that's right. It was sure death getting off that LST, running up into the the waves, up onto the beach, 
you know, 50% of our people were killed like that. It's, uh, it's remarkable what some of these young people did. Bruce, you have a fantastic story. I'm so glad that uh, you didn't go through with the operation to remove your prostate bladder and rectum. Me too. As, <laughs> as you, do, yeah. <laughs> you could say it's a real bummer, but... <laughs> yeah. And uh, we wish you well in the future. It's fantastic. It's a great story. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you, Bruce. All right, Corey. Thank you. And we'd like to thank Bruce for a fabulous interview. And we'd like to thank you, our listeners, for supporting us and sharing our podcast with others who would benefit from hearing these testimonials. Now, if you'd like to support us financially, there are a few ways you can do that. You can become a monthly supporter for as little as $5 a month on our Patreon page. And if you want to make a one-time donation, you can just go on our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and make that donation. We'd greatly appreciate it. And we're very grateful for your support. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.